to be with you for this new series that we are starting together on um, atheism, secularism, and other false faiths. Now, um, during this series, um, in the ne next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some topics. Now, we can only look at these topics. Uh, I sort of raise the issues with you, if you know what I mean. Um, this, this Wednesday evening and Thursday evening, we're starting... Uh, new topics on our evening diploma school and on Wednesday evening I'll be teaching five evenings and a Saturday seminar on the subject of defending your faith apologetics and we will be going very much in depth in some of these uh, things that we're looking at uh, and and so I, I recommend that you uh, get involved with that on Thursday evenings Roberts will be beginning this week also teaching on God's generals for those Thursday evenings and you can register for those I believe at the end of this service so that you can come straight in on Wednesday and Thursday. We're looking today at the topic of atheism, the case against atheism and if you're a visitor here today and you're an atheist or perhaps you're an atheist and you're watching this on our broadcast I don't think I'll be able to um, convince you. I'm not here to convince you. This isn't about me putting the case to you as an atheist and thinking by the end of this short service that you'll change your mind. What I'm really wanting to do today is just give us, especially those of you that are believers here today, a broad understanding of what's going on when we're dealing with atheism and uh, how to begin to approach these things. Now, uh, those of you that want to know more about, about this topic, I'll, I'll give you a few clues of how to go about it. But it is important that we have an awareness of atheism and how to deal with it. Um, Colin has been speaking very much about the perfect storm that's coming to the church and that we have to get ourselves ready to stand. It's important for us to have confidence in our faith together. And there are reasons for the things that we believe. And thank God, you know, you don't have to be an academic to be born again. Uh, you, you, you can be the simplest of people and just put your trust in Jesus and you will be saved. But at the same time, there are reasons for what we believe and um, people are asking questions. And it's important that we have answers. Or if we don't have answers, it's important that we know where to go to give people answers, isn't it? Remember, you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know where to get the answers for. So when someone speaks to me, for example, about evolution, I, I can do, do, a, do a little bit on that with, with somebody who's just a man in the street, if you know what I mean. But if someone's got a little bit more education in science, then I know I'm not going to be able to speak to them. And so what I do is I make sure I know two or three good books, which I can give to them so that they can further study. So today, as we look at um, atheism and defending your faith, what we're, what we're doing is just raising our awareness so that we can see what's going on, that we do have an answer to atheism and that, and that we, we, can, uh, we have something to say. Now, in your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, uh, because I'm going to read a passage of scripture that talks really about and addresses atheism. And uh, when we speak about atheists, you know, a lot of people, don't they, in the street, they say, uh, I don't believe in God. But remember, atheists, 
you get different times of types of atheists and often atheists not believing in God they're atheists for different reasons of course you have the famous atheist Richard Dawkins and his book The God Delusion and sometimes you meet atheists and they say they've studied the matter, they've read Richard Dawkins' book and they've come to the conclusion, having studied the matter, that God doesn't exist. These sort of intellectual atheists. But sometimes you find people, they've never read such a book, they haven't even studied. They're atheists, they say that there's no God, but there's many reasons why there's no God. Maybe somebody in their family died early through a disease and they thought, I just... I just don't believe that there's a God. How can there be a God when this has happened to me? So when we are defending the gospel against atheism, we have to ask ourselves, don't we, where is this atheist coming from? Are they really interested in the arguments against atheism? Or is the real stumbling block something happened to them or some, some experience that they had? Or they went to a, an awful church once and said, well, this is so bad, there can't be any God. So atheists are atheists for many different reasons. And so you could be debating with an atheist about there's no God, when really what they need is you to talk to them about the suffering that they've gone through. That's what's stopping them believe. So let, let's remember that uh, when, when we're looking at these things. Now, Richard Dawkins and his famous book, uh, The God Delusion, he says this. He says, God is a delusion. God is a psychotic delinquent invented by mad, deluded people. So, according to Richard Dawkins, we're mad, deluded people. That's what he writes in his book. But Psalm verse 14, you don't have to turn to it, Psalm chapter 14 verse 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But let's read this passage, because out of this passage I'm going to take uh, a couple of themes where we can address atheism today together in some introductory way. Okay, Romans chapter 1, let's read from 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were they thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Right? Now in this passage, we see that Paul is addressing the fact 
that God is obvious to everybody that wants to see him. And in this passage that I was speaking, uh, uh, that we read together, there's two aspects that we read in this passage. The first one is God is clearly displayed by creation. Can you see that? And what Paul says is this. He says that in verse 18, that the people that believe that there is no God are suppressing the truth. Suppressing the truth. In other words, when we speak about atheism, it's suppressing a truth that people really know in their hearts that there is a God. They have to suppress it. They have to push it down. It's a suppression of what's there. And so there's a suppression of truth because what may be known of God is seen in the creation of the world. And so we can see that through looking at the creation of the world, God's signature is in the creation of the world. And remember, an atheist says that there is no God, that there is no creator. So the first thing we see in this passage is, if you don't believe in God, you need to look at creation. Because it is glaringly obvious through looking at creation that there is a God. But there's a second element, isn't there, also to this passage. Having said, just look at creation. You can't look at creation. Surely you can't look at creation and not see God. That's the first thing. But secondly, he says that they, in verse 23, they changed the glory of an incorruptible God into images. And verse 24, they, they, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And if we continue reading, we see that in verse 27 and 28 and 29 of Romans 1, can you see all this moral decay? Can you see that, that people are getting involved in all types of things, immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, verse 29, full of an envy, murder, strife. So we see two aspects here of dealing with atheism. We see that there is the design argument. Let me put it like that. The design argument. Look at the design of creation and you will see that there is God. But also, for these people that do not believe in God, there is a big moral question. A big moral question. Not all atheists are totally Im immoral, but atheism, as I want to show you, atheism does not believe in right or wrong, good or evil. And so when someone dismisses the Creator and says there's no God, and instead begin to worship their own lifestyle, their own philosophies, and exchange the truth of God. When they say that there is no creator, no God, what that does is it opens them up to all manner of wickedness, because if there's no God, there's no wickedness. And so I want to look with you today at these two aspects of the case against atheism. The first thing we're going to have a look at is the moral argument against atheism. Because what we need to do is say to atheists, if you really believe there's no God, 
then you need to think about how you're living because you haven't thought through the implications, the moral implications of actually being an atheist. And I find that, I don't wish to be disrespectful, but I find that, that atheists are some of the most hypocritical people on earth. And that they believe one thing and very often do another thing. So that's the moral argument we're going to look at first. And then after that, I'm going to briefly look at the design, look at the world. How can you say there's no, no God? Now, we see in Romans chapter 1 that those that say that there's no God and make gods of themselves fall into moral decay. Why? Because they have no moral standards, ultimately speaking. Life without God, you see, is absurd, if you really think about it. I've already said that there's many different people that say they're atheists. There's, there's the student who has studied all the well-known atheists, but also there's the man in the street who just says, oh, I don't believe in any of that religious garbage, who's not studied it. But those that have properly studied it, when you, when you read proper atheists that have, have studied the implications of atheism, they understand that ultimately if there is no God, there's no meaning. You may have heard of the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, and uh, he, he recognized, he was an atheist, and he recognized that if God does not exist, life is absurd. It's totally meaningless. It's, it, it, there's no meaning, because there's no God. Without God, life has ultimately three things. No meaning, no value, and no purpose. I'm going to look at those things. No meaning, no value, and no purpose. Now, meaning, we're going to look at that, talks about significance and importance. Value has to do with good and evil, right and wrong. And purpose has to do with the goal, a reason for something. So life without God, saying there is no God, has no meaning. There's no significance or importance to anything ultimately because there's no God. There's no value, there's no, there's no ultimate morals. You can make it up as you go along and there's no right, ultimate right or ultimate wrong. And there's no purpose. Let's look at no ultimate meet, meaning. Have you ever spent a time in your life where everything seemed meaningless? Have you ever been in a place where you just, this is meaningless. Why am I here? There's just, there's just no meaning to my life. Um, that can be a terrible place to be, can't it? To be in a place of meaningless. And um, if there is no God, there is no ultimate meaning to anything. Just think about that. If there's no God, what's the purpose? What's, what's the meaning? What's the value? It, we, we, we are just chance beings that, that are just here. Um, Richard Dawkins, the one who wrote the famous God Delusion, says this. He's, he understands what to be an atheist really means. He says... Quote, there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pointless indiffer indifferences. We are simply machines for propagating DNA. It is every living object's sole reason for living. So we see that if there's no God, there's no meaning. 
There's no ultimate meaning. I mean, you can, you can give whatever meaning you want to it, but there's no ultimate meaning for life. Like, like, there's no creator. That you're, you're just living, and then you die, and then you disappear. If you actually think about what atheism, if you actually remove God and say, I think it's hard sometimes for us Christians to think like this, but it's important for us. You actually, imagine for a moment that there is no God at all. No God. No God. With no purpose coming from God. That everything is just chance. There's no meaning to the universe. There's nobody behind the universe. There's no meaning to history. There's no meaning to your life. There's absolutely, ultimately, nothing at all. We are just biological machines to produce biological machines, as Richard Dawkins says. And secondly, there's no ultimate value. If life ceases to exist at death, what does it matter how you live your life on earth? Your destiny is ultimately unrelated to your life on earth. If, and Dostoevsky, the great author, wrote this. He said, if there's no immortality, in other words, life after death, if there's no immortality, then all things are permitted. What he means by that, if, what is good and what is bad? Without God, there is no ultimate good or bad because there's not, nothing that is ultimately moral, is there? There's no God. So who's to say this is good and who's to say this is bad? Well, it's just your own opinion on the matter, isn't it? And we can see examples in history of the cruelty of atheism. I mean, you wouldn't have had a Nazi Germany that was so violent in its persecution of the Jews amongst others without the strength of atheism. Same with communism. In fact, I have a quote here from Richard Wormbrande. He was a tortured pastor under communism. And he says this, The cruelty of atheism is hard to believe when man has no faith in the reward of good or the punishment of evil. There's no reason to be human. There's no restraint from the depths of evil which is in man. The communist torturers often said, There is no God. There's no hereafter. There's no punishment for evil. We can do whatever we wish. There is no objective standard of right and wrong for the atheist. No objective standard of right or wrong for the atheist. Now, I'm not saying that atheists are, are therefore bad people. What I'm trying to say is that, is that if you speak to an atheist, they, they do have a sense of what's right and what's wrong, even if it's different to yours. I mean, an atheist would probably be a bit offended if I said, well, you have no values, you have no morals, you have no sense of what's right and wrong, because ultimately, if there's no God, there is no right, there is no wrong. It's just what you are making up yourself. And this is where the atheists fail to live according to their faith. Because many atheists have moral views about what's right and what's wrong. But those that think about their atheism know that ultimately it doesn't matter at all because what is right, what is wrong. And so what happens is, atheists, uh, sometimes they will say things like, well, 
it's obvious what's right and what's wrong. It's obvious that murder is, is, is wrong. Who says? This is the question. Who says that murder is wrong? Across the world right now, there's plenty of murdering going on. And people obviously don't think that it is wrong. Who says that it's wrong to murder? Well, everybody says no, they don't. Not everybody says. Who says what's right and what's wrong? And in the end, if there's no God, it doesn't really matter what's right and what's wrong. Because there is no God. You're making it up as you go along. Right and wrong, good and bad. In the end, they don't exist without God. I can choose what my right is. I can choose what my wrong is. You can choose what your right is. You can choose what your wrong is. We can all do it and disagree and have opinions. But in the end, it doesn't matter. Do you hear what I'm saying? But we know as Christians that all human beings are made in the image of God. So this is why an atheist, uh, like I said, some of, the, some of the more studied atheists say there's no, like Richard Dawkins says, ultimately there's no good, no evil. But they can't live like that. They, they have to, they, they, because they're made in the image of God. There's, even though it's the broken image, even though they don't believe in God, there's something in all human beings, however warped, that has a sense of right and wrong. Good and evil. But if you're an atheist, you have to say to yourself that these things, well, we're, we're just doing it to get by. It's, it's, it's not real. Now, I'm going to show you a little clip. And um, in, in this clip, you're going to hear one of the best defenders of the Christian faith called William Craig. And uh, he is defending the faith against atheism and the book I mentioned to you about by Richard Dawkins, uh, The God Delusion. And he is talking about Richard Dawkins and the fact that he's an atheist. He's not meant to believe in good and evil. And yet he's got very strong moral views. And so I've been just introducing you to this idea of atheism does not believe in good or evil. It does not believe in purpose or meaning because there is ultimately none. And now I want you to hear one of the best defenders of the faith. It's about a five-minute clip and, and he's responding to Richard Dawkins and his book on atheism and he's talking about the problem with atheists believing in morality. Thank you. Second argument that I discussed was the moral argument for God's existence. It goes like this. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Two, objective moral values and duties do exist. Three, therefore, God exists. Now, what makes this little argument so powerful is that it's not only logically ironclad, but also that people generally believe both of its premises. In fact, Dawkins himself I believe there's a God, so I think they'll just give it a second for them to sort it out, even if they have to begin it again. It's not only logically ironclad, but also that people generally believe both of its premises. In fact, Dawkins himself 
collect. I, let, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a couple of minutes just to sort that out because I do need to show this clip. So I'll give, I'll give you two minutes just to find out what's going on and just continue a little bit and we'll come right back to that. It's a very important part of my teaching today, so I, so I can't leave it. So we, sorry, I've been speaking about no ultimate value. We're going to come back to that. But also, no ultimate purpose if you're an atheist. What is it all for ultimately? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is the words of Solomon looking at life without God. What is the goal of life for an atheist? In the end, there is no goal. What is the purpose of the universe? There is no purpose. What is the purpose of mankind? For the atheist, there's no purpose at all. Uh, without God, there is no purpose. So what do you do when there's no purpose? Well, you can uh, invent whatever purpose you want. But remember, you are inventing purpose if you're an atheist. There is no real purpose. You are inventing purpose purpose just like you are inventing what's right and what's wrong it's inventions it's self-delusion you're making it up as you're going along see what happens when you get rid of God is that you put yourself in his place but you have to realize that if you take God away whatever you're doing is meaningless you call it good you call it bad but there is no good or bad you're inventing it and you can change it whenever you want this is why we see in Romans, when someone says that there's no God, anything goes. And sometimes people are atheists because they want anything to go. They don't want God coming. And you know when people say, oh, you Christians, you Bible bashers, you believe in marriage between men and women, and you believe in this moral standard and that moral standard. Oh, I don't believe in God. All right, well, it's field day for you, isn't it? You can, you can, you can choose to do whatever you want. But no purpose... No purpose or meaning at all except what you make it. So atheists, what they're doing is they, put a, they live in a little bubble and make it up as they go along. Because if they're true to their faith, there is no meaning, no purpose and no values. Let's look at that clip once again. Ready in five minutes. Okay. All right. Just bear with me. I'm doing my best. Um, I said earlier that atheists are hypocritical because they're living in denial. Hypocrisy, what is it? It's the practice of professing standards and beliefs contrary to your actual behavior. So an atheist will say that there is no God therefore there's no right or wrong, there's no meaning, there's no purpose but then they go on and live with right and wrong, with purpose and with meaning you speak to an atheist and say well you know your life, if you go to an atheist and says well actually you know your life has no meaning they'll say of course it has I have my family, I have my friends, I'm, I'm involved in, in a career that helps people I've got all these things that give meaning to my life true but ultimately you're making it up 
You're believing one thing, that there's no God, no meaning, no purpose, and then you're making it up yourself. This is the major problem with um, atheism. Now, what Francis Schaeffer, a great theologian, puts it like this. He says that modern man, or the, the atheist, lives in a two-story universe. There's an upper story and a lower story, okay? Now, in the upper story, or, or in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the top level, imagine a flat with two floors. In the top flat, that's the place where God, we say God exists, all right? And in that top section, you've got God, who has a purpose for us all, who designed the universe with a purpose. It's God that gives us our meaning. What is the meaning of life? The great reformer said, this is the meaning of life, that you will glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of life, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You've got values, you've got rights and wrongs, and, and that everybody is made in the image of God, and, and you've got all this comes from from our God in that compartment. And then the lower compartment is like the material, just living life on earth, okay? Now the atheist has a lower department, but he has, no, he, he has nothing in the top, does he? No God, no purpose, no values, none of these things in the top. He's living in the lower. But he can't, he's a human being made by God. He can't stay there in this purely material, natural, we're just mechanical, uh, biological, me mechanical machines for producing more. Uh, there's no meaning. No, He can't live like that because he's made in God's image. So what he does is he keeps popping upstairs to find an invisible value. He keeps popping upstairs to find a purpose. Uh, he doesn't believe that there's any, but he keeps, he's, he's a creature of contradiction. Alright, I think we're ready for it. Thank you. Second argument that I discussed was the moral argument for God's existence. It goes like this. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Two, objective moral values and duties do exist. Three, therefore, God exists. Now, what makes this little argument so powerful is that it's not only logically ironclad, but also that people generally believe both of its premises. In fact, Dawkins himself I need this clip to work. I really need this clip to work. Well, let me know when it's ready, because there's not only this clip, I've got another clip I need to play as well. <laughs> a 
got two clips and the whole thing relies on these two clips. Without it, it's, it, it doesn't have the punch that I, uh, that I intended. All right. All right. So the upper story of that, that's God, meaning, value, purpose. You Christians that are here today, just imagine if there was no God. I mean, it's, it's diff imagine if there was no God. If there really, really was no God, no meaning, no values, no purpose, how would you live your life? If you really faced up to the fact that there was no God. You see, this is the problem for the atheists. They won't face up to the fact of what they actually believe and live in the light of it. They refuse to do it because it's impossible for them to do it as the clip was going to show you. Now, we've, I've given you a brief introduction for that and I'm waiting for that to be fixed so that we can, we can show you. I was going to show you that clip and that would just nicely have concluded that brief introduction to the fact that without God there is no meaning, no values or moral values and no purpose, ultimately. So if, if, you, if you do say you've got meaning, values, you're just making it up. It's not really real you're living in a bubble okay that was the first thing we were going to do the second thing that I wanted to introduce you to was the argument from the world remember in Romans it spoke about the fact that there was moral decay because there's no right or wrong you can do whatever you want if there's no God and that's what those people were doing that they weren't worshipping the creator but in Romans they were fashioning idols weren't they now those idols for the atheist are simply the fact that they decide what's right and what's wrong. They decide what purpose is. They decide what be being. That's the idolaters that leads to all these types of ungodly activity eventually. Now, the, second, the first thing that Paul mentioned was when he said, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and the wrath of God is revealed because it is obvious, verse 20, from the creation of the world, God is clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. Now this is the design argument. And what this basically says is that if you look at the universe, and you don't have to be a scientist, I'm not a scientist. Uh, I can't teach, this. scientists can teach this far better th than I. But I just say any fool can look at the universe and see that there's design. Now, where there is design, there is always a designer. We're talking about God of purpose, that everything has purpose, that everything is designed. If you observe the universe, you see that it's far from random, is it? It's far from chaotic and purposeless. purposeless. When, you, when you look at the universe, you see design, order, information, complexity beauty. All these point to a designer. Because remember, if you don't believe in God, all this just happened by chance. Totally by chance. There's nothing behind it. There's no mind behind it. It's just purely chance that we're here today. Or if you believe in evolution, it's just a, 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 a bunch of chance happenings that took, that took place. Interestingly enough, um, it's amazing the myths that some atheist teachers will believe to explain how this came about. You know, uh, I mentioned about Dawkins. Well, in his book, because somebody, people say to him, look, it's just 
the chance, it's just impossible for any of this to happen by chance. There's so much order and complexity and design. Just impossible. You know, you say, what, what is the chances of this happening? If you went down to Ladbrokes, which you wouldn't, oh, this is a betting thing, wouldn't it? But if you went down to say, I'd like to have a bet on the fact that this world, universe, and everything that happened would happen only by chance. I mean, I wonder what odds they'd give you. I mean, you, they wouldn't be able to get the odds out because it's just so ridiculous. And so Dawkins understands that it's so, it is so ridiculous to believe that all this could happen by chance and then also remain happening by chance that you know what he devises? He, de he says, well, there must be multiverses, not universes, but multiverses. So he says, imagine we don't just have one universe, but we have multi-universes. Many, many universes, hundreds, thousands of different universes. And there's all these universes that are out there, and in the end, one of them would, would by chance produce what we have here today. So he's believing in a bunch of fictitious universes, and yet he says that we're the ones that live by faith. So, if we see design in creation, then we're saying that there's an int intelligence behind it. I mean, if you were walking through the woods and you found a watch lying on the floor and you picked it up, would you look at that and say, oh, that just happened by chance? Or all these pieces of metal, in, in the way that they were formed, just by chance happened through erosion or whatever. They, they're just all the little cogs in this wristwatch. They all just came together and locked together and when it, when it all came together what happened was a watch was formed. Now a watch is infinitely less complex than the tiniest human cell in our bodies. Now you would look at a watch, you would say well this watch has purpose, this watch has design, these things couldn't have just happened. There is a designer behind it. You know, the idea, the idea that these things, that, that, that it happened is just, is just ridiculous. So there's the watchmaker, the idea that if you saw a watch. Also, if an archaeologist went on a dig and he did some digging and he found, as he dug, he found some arrowheads and some axe heads, would he say, oh, these must have just happened by accident? Would that what an archaeologist say? No, he would immediately say, someone's been here. We have, if, if all they dug up was stones that were just not, they'd say, oh, well, n nobody lived here. But if they dug up arrowheads and, you know, little forks and knives and stuff, they could look, evidence that somebody has been here. How do you know somebody's been there? Because these arrowheads, these knives, these forks, they couldn't have produced themselves, could they? But that's exactly what the atheist says about everything in the universe. By chance, that knife is... No, they would... If, if spacemen went, on to, went to the far side of the moon and they found this complex machine, they wouldn't go, oh, that, look at that. By chance, it's just... How did that... They would immediately say, there's life out there, wouldn't they? Now, if, if, if they do things about simple things like that, imagine the complexities of what we have. Now, I'm going to show the second clip first in a couple of minutes. The, 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 the one on genes, okay? Um, so you get that ready. Fine tuning. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, that the oxygen is just right for us to breathe. It's amazing how everything, that, this is the evolution one we're going to do, on the. it's amazing how everything is so finely tuned. I mean, if the axle of the earth 
was greater or lesser, the surface temperatures would be too harsh to support life as we know it. If the distance from the sun of the earth, if it was lesser, it would be too hot for life. If it was a little bit further away, relatively speaking, it, it would be too cold for life. If the earth's crust, you know, the layer the, of the crust, if the earth's crust was thicker, too much oxygen would be transferred from the atmosphere to the crust and we wouldn't be able to live. But if the crust was thinner on the earth, there'd be too much volcanic activity. If the precious balanced gravitational pull between the earth and the moon, isn't it amazing we have a moon and the moon affects <laughs> you know the oceans well if that was slightly out of balance if the, the tidal effects on the oceans would be too severe or if, if it was less it, it would affect the rotation of the earth if gravity on earth was stronger the atmosphere would retain too much poison methane and, and, and ammonia but if the, if the atmosphere was any less we would lose too much water if the length of the day were greater, the temperature differences would be too great to sustain life. If the day was shorter, the wind velocities would be too great to survive. Everything is so amazingly balanced. Majorly balanced. Also, so that's the fine-tuning. And also, in, the information is designed. Information is somebody speaking. I'm going to show you a clip right now, hopefully, of DNA. The DNA that is in all our cells, all, all, all life, that passes. And the DNA is amazing because in that DNA, it has all the information to form you as you are. So that little piece of DNA replicates itself. It's like, it's like a manual that makes you who you are. And we're going to look at that to show you that, that this, this atheism... Let's show it right now. Simple water molecules that form ice crystals exhibit magnificent structure. Consider the design ingenuity behind large, complex molecules, such as DNA. DNA contains the blueprint for all life and is by far the densest information storage mechanism known in the universe. For example, the amount of information contained in a pinhead volume of DNA would fill a stack of books 500 times higher than from here to the moon. The program code and design of such an incredible system indicates a supremely intelligent designer. The evidence to me that just cries out that there's a God is the study of DNA. DNA is a very powerful, massive information storage system. In fact, DNA that makes up our genes actually is like books of information that's read by a language system. It's absolutely phenomenal. And scientists know today that language as a code only come from an intelligence, and information only comes from information. Nobody's ever seen matter by itself give rise to a code. Nobody's ever seen matter by itself give rise to information. And as you look at DNA, it actually cries out in the beginning, God created the universe. We all begin as a single cell the size of a period at the end of a sentence. How does that cell know how to build a, a body with 100 trillion 
cells in it, thousands of different kinds, and each one of them is so complex, nanochemical machinery beyond our comprehension how it works, and encoded is the instruction manual. It's the manufacturer's manual how to build and operate every part of this incredible body made up of a hundred trillion cells. Furthermore, DNA is a three-dimensional What that is showing is actually the enzymes going up and down. And those enzymes actually fix problems that are in the DNA. So the DNA is checking itself all the time. Can I have the volume? All right, I tell you what, let's, let's, fit, let's try the other one. I think you got a picture of it, didn't you? Um, you, got, you got an idea, um, and um, you can just see the complexity, the, the amazing. There was enough in that clip that we saw just to show you why we're looking at design, okay? And you can get books on this in the bookshop. What I, what I want us to attempt finally, because it is, it, is, it, it, it is powerful to hear, is... This section, we've looked, remember today, this is a brief introduction, we've looked at Romans and said that when somebody says there's no God, creation shouts that there is, if you properly look at it. And secondly, that when someone says there's no God, then there is no morality, and their life is just a sham, their pretense, they're making it up as they go along, because there is no meaning. And we're going to try, hopefully, right now to, to hear this defense where uh, Craig, William Craig is talking about um, Dawkins and, and how he lives a lie. Okay, thank you. Let's try it. Second argument that I discussed was the moral argument for God's existence. It goes like this, if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Two, objective moral values and duties do exist. Three, therefore, God exists. Now what makes this little argument so powerful is that it's not only logically ironclad, but also that people generally believe both of its premises. In fact, Dawkins himself Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. 
Um, next week, uh, we'll make sure that both of those are sorted out. And what I'll do is I'll get myself on 10 minutes early. I'll do a summary of what we did today in about two or three minutes. I'll do a summary of the moral argument and we'll put that up and it will be working. And then I'll do a summary of the creation army, just, just you know, the creation thing and the design thing, and then we'll see both of those. So you will get it next week. It'll be all sorted out and it's worth it. It's worth it. So, um, so okay, things, ha things like this happen in life. There is a God. And um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you all, see you all next week. God bless you. Thank you.